How's it going, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Barely There podcast. As always, I'm Duke Coughlin. You can follow me on Twitter at that pod guy, Duke. And I'm joined by the Ayatollah of Capicola, Lucas Ferfetti. You can follow him at LucasFetti46. Be sure to follow the pod at that um, Barely There pod. And uh, be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Join the chat. Um, I mean, join the chat right now. If you're checking us out on Twitter, you're trying to get it on the chat. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to read your comments. So uh, try to get on that YouTube. Uh, we'll, we'll post the link up here in a second. But um, anyway, Chicago Bears, yet another primetime game. That's two in a row. I, I honestly do not understand why they gave us so many primetime games this year. Just kind of understanding what we were coming into. I mean, maybe it was a little bit of the Justin Fields effect. Maybe it was a little bit of like, you know, the new head coach deal because we just were so like lame duck and out of energy after the second year of Matt Nagy. So, I mean, I could see that definitely play into it. But, uh, Lucas, just uh, kind of bringing you in here. Uh, so, the spread right now for the Bears is plus 7.5. Uh, the money line is plus 300, and the over-under is 40. Obviously, with the Bears going on the road, they are not going to be the favorite. Um, I, it's going to be hard for any iteration of the Chicago Bears right now to be favored over Bill Belichick, regardless of where you play. doesn't matter if we play in a fucking sandlot in, on the south side of Chicago. It doesn't matter if we play in Maine. You know, it don't matter. But um, anyway, how are you feeling about the line? How are you feeling about the game? Just overall thoughts. And uh, how are you today, Lucas? Because I don't know if anybody asked you that today. Um, I'm actually great, dude. I switched from coffee to tea. Or, yeah, from coffee to tea. So feel like a little less jittery. You know, I feel a little bit more fucking one with myself. So that's what I got going on. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about getting a cold tub and putting it on my my balcony and just busting that bitch open. I see this Canadian dude on social media all the time that just breaks open a, a, a ice bath in the morning and just jumps into it. And I'm like, man, that's, I, I got to do that. That would wake me the fuck up. It's supposed to be good for blood pressure too. And you know, if you're the Ayatollah of Capicola, you got to worry about shit like that. Um, in terms of the line, man, I don't, I mean, let's be real here. We're going to find a way to convince ourselves that the bears are going to win. Cause we do that every single week and we're going to predict them to win. And, you know, even though it might go against what we actually feel in our minds, our hearts are going to do that. But it's a rat line, seven and a half. I said the exact same thing about the Vikings. Like, that is not a football number. In my opinion, if you're going to take the Patriots, my thought is buy it all the way to nine and a half. You know, like there are some games where you'll they'll lose by eight. The Bears lost by eight. There might be a situation where maybe the Bears are have, you know, six and the Patriots have 14 and the Bears have to go for two after they score a touchdown if that happens. Um, but overall, I think it's a rat line. So I'd probably go with the Bears in the points. Um, over under, I think it's going to go over. I think like we've seen such a strong trend and people are just starting to, to get on it. You know, people are noticing that their fantasy scores are going down, things like that. We're seeing a lot less touchdowns. And then that, that, you know, that there was a stat that came out yesterday before the Thursday night game that the Cardinals have only let up like 6.7 points on average in the second half. They let up like 21. So I think it's about time to start hitting overs. I think, I think games are going to start going over offenses. You know, the defense always starts faster than the offenses. And I think we're going to start seeing more offense now. Well, I mean, doesn't that kind of feel like that's how it is around the league? Like this yeah, year. It's just a really trend. Good. Yeah. It's just been like a really slow start for offenses. And, you know, I, I kind of alluded to earlier on in the year where it's like, our defense coordinator is starting to finally catch up with the offensive explosion going on. You know, I don't think that's something like, like, well, that will last. You know, I kind of agree with your point that something eventually has to give honestly with offenses around the league, but it's very obvious that defense coordinators came into this year doing their homework throughout the entire off season. Cause I think teams were sick of getting killed by 
the RPO and it wasn't by Josh Allen. You know what I mean? I, I feel like defenses were getting sick of getting gashed uh, with rhythm routes by Aaron Rodgers. You know what I mean? Like, I think it, they're sick of the stretch zone scheme, to be honest. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but like, I think that's been, that's why I'm kind of worried because we got Matt Nagy at the tail end of the trend of hiring read coaches. And now it seems like defenses are catching up to, uh, really, it started with Vic Fangio with with that Rams game in 2018, when like he kind of cracked that code on how to how to attack the wide zone and how to really limit the running game from that wide zone um, to put a lot more pressure on the quarterback. So I think we're starting to see that too. It's just been you know 50 percent of the offenses in the league right now have this wide zone going on. Um, and yeah, man, I, I like 20 percent. It's been down scoring in general, 20 percent across the board. So it's not just the Bears thing; it's an NFL thing. Um, well, I mean, like I've I've always been under the impression that like football can only change so much, but the game stays the same. Like trends trends change, like the game evolves. Like I feel like that's the word that everybody likes to use, but at the end of the day, I mean, outside of, you know, officiating changes that the NFL decides to make every single year to protect the quarterback, like the game itself can only change so much fundamentally. And I think we see that honestly with a guy like Bill Belichick, like he's not somebody who necessarily like goes with the brand new trend with everything they do on offense. You know, I think he might've messed around with it a little bit more when they had a guy like Cam Newton who could, you know, probably effectively run that modern offense. Well, he'll evolve it. Yeah. He'll evolve it for sure. But like even Eberflus commented in his press conference, they asked him, what do you think the difference is between Bailey Zappia and Mac Jones? And he was like, Honestly, I don't see that big of a difference because the Patriots do the Patriot offense. Like it's been the Patriot offense for 20 fucking years. And yeah, it'll evolve and maybe run through tight ends or your slot or, you know, your occasional wide receiver when you got a guy like wasn't Dorsett one of their big receivers back in the day. I know Randy Moss is one that like they really started to run through wide receivers, but um, they kind of evolve and really adapt to their talent and what they have and what their quarterback's good at. So at, at when you're, when you're constantly telling the defense, this is what we're good at. Let's see if you can stop it. And they can't, that's, that's the most effective offense. It's not following a trend or anything like that. It's saying, this is what we do very, very fucking well. I dare you to stop it. And if you can, then we're going to have something that's going to come off of that. Well, and that's, that's how you go from the way that they ran the offense with Tom Brady compared to how they ran it with Cam Newton, dude, it was night and day. It wasn't that they like set, like set it back because like Cam couldn't do like make throws that Brady couldn't. It's just like, that wasn't the same skill set. And you even see that with like how they brought in Mac Jones, they're running almost the identical offense to how they kind of run at Alabama, you know, with fucking kind of taking the underneath, being able to run the ball with different running backs in the backfield, win the line of scrimmage and be able to take the occasional shot down the field. And, you know, they have guys like that down there. You know, I feel like we all, uh, we all rave about Nikhil Harry and how he didn't get opportunities, but like Jacoby Myers is kind of the biggest reason why, like he, he kind of took the spotlight as that drafted receiver. And uh, I really like the point you made because that's something we complained about with like Matt Nagy, you know what I mean? With not being able to use the talent that he has to effectively run an offense, he's just continuing to like want to run the offense he wants to run regardless of the talent he has. Whereas like Belichick has stood the test of time with that. And I feel like you see that with a lot of different coaches. I feel like you even see that ironically, even just talking about Matt Nagy, we see that with Andy Reid. And that's like why Andy Reid is one of the best offensive minds in all football, or honestly, one of the best offensive minds of all time, in my opinion, just based on what he can get out of any quarterback that you give him, is he tailors his offense to the type of talent that he has. Like, you don't see him taking insane deep shots because they know 
they're very limited at wide receiver right now. They've gone far more to throwing the football to their tight end because, you, you know, you have Travis Kelsey. Of course, you're going to throw to your tight end in that situation. But, like, they've been force-feeding him this year compared to where he was more of a complimentary piece to a guy like Tyree Kill over the top, you know. So I really see a lot of that with what Belichick does on offense or – in all honesty, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Matt Patricia calling the offense, but that's the exact type of guy that Belichick wants kind of running that type of thing of being like, hey, I don't give a fuck how much you know the current NFL offense. I care more about you understanding football and how it works and being able to control the ball with the talent that we have. Well, and and he's not only building, like you think about it, he he has the whole team in mind when he's thinking about how his offensive strategy is going to be, right? Like if he knows he's playing against one of those high powered offenses, he's going to slow that game down. You know, like it's, it's very different from game to game. And although it looks the same and that's why they're so effective, that's why they always have been. Um, and that's why, Bel- you know, there's years where Belichick had absolutely nothing on offense. I think he went under 500 once in his Patriots career. Um, and, you know, it's like, even in those years where they didn't have a ton on offense, it's like their defense would take over. So they knew we're just going to fucking pound the rock. We're going to beef up our O-line. We're going to give our defense rest because all, all we need to do is put up 20 points and our defense is going to hold them under that. Um, so, dude, there's a reason why he's the best in the business. We talked about the art of coaching um, before we came on with that that Saban and Belichick documentary that's on HBO. It's fucking incredible great, if you haven't seen man. it. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, definitely recommend watching it. Um, but that's something that they emphasize is being able to teach your coaches and you know, you can have Matt Patricia call plays because he's calling plays within the structure of what Bill Belichick set for him. And that's kind of something that I see not comparing Flus to, to Belichick, but that's something I really like about Eberflus is that by all reports, everyone knows their job. Everyone knows their defined role. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They know when they're coming up short, everything is measured. That's a huge thing, man. Um, so well, and you know, even even to that point, Luke, it's not to cut you off. I don't know if you had much else going. No, that's there. all I had. That's all I had. Okay, I mean, not even to cut you, cut that off, but it feels like that's kind of a trend that we've brought up Eberflus with Belichick, and like that's not a direct comparison. I don't want people to take that out of context, obviously, but like they do have similarities in that sense, where like if if something isn't working on the offensive side of the ball, even as a defensive coach, you're starting to see a little bit more of Eberflus kind of taking the reins of being like, listen this isn't working with the players we have on the field. Like I'm going to let you call your plays and whatnot, but like, I'm going to give a little bit of input of like how I feel like this should be being run. And I feel like Belichick does a really good job of that. Cause you know, people might forget just because it's been Belichick's been a head coach for so long. He was defense coordinator way back in the day for the New York giants when Parcells was there. So like he was the original guru, like yeah. of defense, right? Like he was the original, like, you know, everyone else had like, you know, uh, Buddy Ryan was a smart guy, but he produced like dominating defenses. Belichick was the only one to completely change schemes uh, for each game, depending on what teams needed. Like he was that original fucking guy that looks like a like he should be teaching at MIT that is now a head coach and is extremely respected because his results always were um, his results always showed and even took Lawrence Taylor a little bit of time. But now that's like one of Lawrence Taylor's favorite guys. Well, and I, I think you even see it like when you hear him talk about Lawrence Taylor. I don't know like what the question was exactly a couple of years ago, but With whenever you get like you're talking about Lawrence Taylor here, whenever you can get a good like whenever you can get like a good answer out of Belichick, you know, like, you know, you asked a good question and he talked about Lawrence Taylor for a couple minutes. And this is an answer that always stuck with me. And he kind of talked about like around the lines of like 
it didn't re- like I knew I could do nearly anything on defense. And I like that you brought up the fact that like he uses different schemes, he uses different fronts. Like he will, they will throw you anything and everything. If Even they, on they have respects the to do it. it's just listed as multiple. They don't, yeah. but he doesn't <laughs> let them use his name. Yeah, no, that's true. And that's, that's just the most Belichick shit ever. That's but incredible. um, like he would talk about how Lawrence Taylor was so good that like it did not matter what the scheme was, he could find a way to make him fit. And that's just the type of like, just, and the kind of goes to my original point, like Belichick started as like the defensive coach. That's how everyone knew him. But like, if you didn't know that you would only think of him just as a football coach because he has evolved so much and you can just see how much he knows about gen like football in general. You know what I mean? Like, if Belichick had to call an offense for a game, I feel like he'd be able to do it. Like that's one thousand percent. He, I'm sure he has. And that's where, like, and I don't want to just sit here and just slob on Belichick, obviously, but like, obviously, me and you respect him a lot. But that's kind of like a point I like to make to people who always say, like, we need an offensive head coach or we need a defensive head coach, and it's like. Give me a football guy. Give me a guy who maybe specializes on one side of the ball or another, but give me somebody who genuinely understands the game and is able to give feedback to his coordinators that is actually like, like that actually has a little bit of oomph to it. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel, I feel that a little bit with Eberflus so far. Like he seems like just a genuinely knowledgeable football guy. Obviously defense is bread and butter, but like, I really feel like he can grow into just being like, understanding of a situation understanding that something's not working on the offensive side of the ball and using his defensive dialect to be able to tell an offensive coordinator like luke getsy like hey this is the defensive front they're giving you this is what your show is this is why they're giving you this front and this is how you counteract it i mean dude it's if you play a sport for 22 years and then go directly into coaching and coach for another 22 you're gonna know a lot about the fucking sport like it's just the way it is um you know, I obviously flew didn't start playing football at zero, but I would assume his dad strapped a fucking helmet to him and put a little stick him on his hand um, and put the ball in his hand. But realistically, like, do you think he had a dot? A what? You think he had the sticker? Oh, uh, no. Flus looks like he's in pretty good shape. I don't think he was a striper. I don't think he had, he had to been like pushing the limit, though. He probably like like had a like a body program every freaking offseason. So he knew like I'm going like, to be like seven and a half under. Yeah. yeah. At like yeah. seven and a half, he was sitting in a sauna fucking covered in garbage bags, just like <laughs> just so he can return a kick. Um dude, I mean, dude, I have that picture of Iberflus when he was in college, man. He was uh he's a fucking shit brick house, man. Dude, that's, that's what I'm bad. saying. Like at first I thought he was kind of, you know, because he's always smiley and no, he looks like the type of motherfucker that'll snap. Um, but you know, if you want to talk about Belichick as a football guy and you know, who calls plays for him, whatever, just look at his coaching tree after they leave. What do they do? fucking nothing all of his prize students have done absolutely dick as a head coach uh the only one that ever really did anything so far is is uh who is that uh Vrabel Vrabel had has had a pretty good career as a head coach but like you know McDaniel's experiment looks like it's failing again um tough division either way but looks like it's failing again Patricia failed Flores we have differing opinions but that wasn't a good situation, even though the organization was actively trying to tank while he was trying to win games. Definitely a conflict there. Um, but yeah, like, you know, uh, I, I forgot what you were saying about fitting molds. Oh, yeah. Adjusting, finding ways to adjust schemes. That was actually a good point for us to transition, but we didn't. But let's go back to it because it looks like the Chicago Bears are actually reevaluating a lot of things. Um, and I think that's a good sign. And that's something else that's kind of in that line of 
hey, let's let's evaluate. Let's fucking figure out where we're at. Let's reset and let's adjust some things because he's talked about how this mini buy, you think they play Thursday night and then Monday they get 11 days, which is not very common. A lot of times if you play that Thursday game and you don't have a buy or you didn't have a buy the week before, you're going to play that Sunday. So um, they had 11 days to readjust some things. It looks like they're going to shuffle the offensive line. If I'm not mistaken, let's knock on wood. Sam Mustafer will not be starting at center. It will be Lucas Patrick. It took seven weeks of us freaking the fuck out. Um, but it's finally going to happen. It looks like Schofield's going to be at left guard. And then Jones, Jenkins, and Borum will, will remain in their spots. But, I mean, that is a good sign. I, that's what I'm looking forward to most in this game, to see, hey, how does the new offensive line look without Mustafer? Because there were problems outside of Mustafer. Mustafer was getting his dick blown off. Don't get me wrong, but there were problems outside of it. But I also want to see how they adjust their scheme because we've called back to this multiple times. Where is the triple option in the red zone? Where is the, the zone read plays? Where is the – I mean, we saw it yesterday with Kyler Murray. You needed a first down on fourth down. What happened? It was a fucking play action, roll out. You have an option. You have one option or race me to the corner. Justin Fields is extremely fucking fast, dude. Did you see that play where Khalil Herbert um, busted off that run and field? you see Fields from all the way in the back of the screen just absolutely book it down, like 100%, not a loaf, uh, beautiful thing to see. So I'm interested to see how they're going to utilize their quarterback's legs in the red zone and not just like, oh, let's have him scramble around or let's have a design QB draw. No, like let's give multiple options, whether it's an RPO, um, some of those things. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of those elements because – you know, like you said, it looks like Fluce is starting to take a little bit more influence, and I think that's part of it because Luke Getze is treating Justin Fields like he's fucking Aaron Rodgers. Well, you know, and it's funny because, you know, bringing up Luke Getze, I actually, as much as I hate to admit it, I actually went back and I watched a little bit of uh, Rogers, uh, Aaron Rodgers' interview with uh, uh, PMT. And, you know, just just for laughs, just because I hate Aaron Rodgers. I, I, like I went and watched it because there's so many clips coming around. I had to watch it. Like, I, I, I just I always love listening to Big Cat just shit on Aaron Rodgers to his face. There's honestly not much that's better than that. But um, I actually caught a little bit of a tidbit the other day. And I'm like, you know what? There's actually something to this. And it was Aaron talking about how he does not think uh, Matt LaFleur's like, scheme is perfect. He thinks like, yeah, there's flaws. flaws in it. Yeah. And like, I thought that was one that really, that's a quote that really stuck out to me because like, the more you think about it, the more you kind of see, like, I brought it up earlier in the year, like, where is like the West coast concepts that we thought we were going to be getting, you know what I mean? Where are the, where are the slant routes? Where are like the rhythm throws? Where are the, uh, the, you know, playing with feel, where is running the football and kind of setting that up? You know what I mean? Like, where is being able to go under, go under center, do the exact same thing you're doing out of shotgun, except you could just time it a little bit better with your three-step drop. You know what I mean? Like just simple things like that. And um, it, it kind of struck a chord. Cause it's like, we have not seen that with Denver. We've not seen that with green Bay this year. And we're certainly not seeing it in Chicago right now. You know what I mean? And you could say what you want about Russell Wilson with Denver. I mean, I know you've already told me just absolutely plenty about it, but like when, when it's happening with Aaron in green Bay, where he looks off kilter, when he's making throws, that's when you start to be like, okay, is there something up with how this scheme is being run? You know what I mean? Cause like, I thought, like with how Aaron Rodgers plays, like it's hard to tell that he's not in a West Coast system just because he's such a rhythm guy. And you always saw that with a guy like Devontae Adams. That's where you see those slant routes. That's where you see those out routes, those back shoulder throws, and being able to kind of hit a play action because you're in such good rhythm and being able to make that throw down the field over the 
over the middle because you're setting it up with the run. Like that's just something I have not seen in the offense. And I want to start. I want to see Getsy start scaling it back. Cause I feel like he's trying to throw too. uh, he's trying to do too much, man. You know, and I thought one of the big things that Aaron brought up and I don't want to give him too much credit, but he did make some good points on this. Like, why do we have to run a motion on every single play? Yeah. It fucks with tempo. That's, that's a re- very good point. Um, and there were times, even when we were at the game together, I'm like, dude, you only have fucking two minutes and 30 seconds, like, or whenever it was three 30 before they, before they went for it on fourth you know, before the drive that they fucking lost on the, on the not getting the touchdown. But regardless, like, I'm like, why aren't they moving faster? Like, what the fuck is going on? How are you using 30 seconds of a play clock when you only have three minutes left? Like, I understand if you get into your own or the, the opposing 30 and you're like, okay, we got two timeouts still. Let's slow it down. Let's burn a little bit of this clock because it's now or never. Right. But like in that situation, you're at your own fucking 40. Like, why aren't you moving faster? I just didn't understand it. Um, and I think that has something to do with it, but I, th- I think it's just more so you're right. Like Luke Getze is putting too much on um, Justin Fields plate. I think that's all it really comes down to. Like look at Justin fucking um, not Justin uh, got Jalen hurts. Look at Jalen hurts, you know, like that's someone I would like to see the growth from, from Justin Fields. Like, Instead of Josh Allen, I prefer a Jalen Hurts comparison because Jalen Hurts, while Justin is more talented than him, a lot of the same criticism, like a lot of the same criticism through his first couple of years. And it's just like, as you slowly implement things and being like, okay, now we can do two rhythm throws, you know, right. Instead of having just that, that first read that you're coming off them. What's up, uh, RX Ram GX gaming. How you doing, brother? Um, but just little stuff like that, like slowly evolve your offense and and do your best to shield your quarterback's inabilities or what he needs to work on in his first couple of years so you can get him rolling, get him confident. So then now, like five years into it, you're like, oh, this is a polished fucking quarterback, you know? Well, but I mean, that also goes into... I would say the biggest difference with say Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts is like there were a lot of points, especially in like year two with Hurts, where you're like, ooh, is, is he the guy? You know what I mean? And even even a little bit in you know year three, you're like, okay, well this is know. year three for him. He's going fucking nuts. Yeah, I'd say all right, that's yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, because year one it looked rough right off the bat. Look. Looked, looked very bad. Rough. It looked like uh, Doug Peterson was making that move to just save his job and kind of throwing Carson Wentz under the bus, which he was. But at the same time, like it just didn't seem like he's prepared for that. And like year two, like yeah, he showed flashes, but it was there were still a lot of growing pains. Like there were a lot of Eagles fans that wanted Watson bad because of what they saw out of Jalen Hurts in year two. You know what I mean? Like Eagles fans were very like they were talking about starting Gardner Minshew because I believe Minshew started awful last year. Yeah, exactly, dude. It just didn't look good. So, like, the difference with that, though, is, like, the Eagles had the same front office when they drafted him, and they kind of decided, like, hey, we're going to be fucking – we're going to be patient. We're going to – we're going to – we're going to let every growing pain possible happen. Like, whatever. We're only going to go as far as he's going to take us in these first two years. And, I mean, honestly, he got a playoff berth in that second year. A lot of that had to do with uh, some of the more, you know, talented offensive players and some of their uh, run defense. But – Still, regardless, they got him to do a first round game where they got their ass kicked by Tampa Bay. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. They got there. But, like, 
now in year three, you're seeing him get a chance to really take off. He was able to look at year of film and see everything that he did wrong and find what he really needed to work on in the offseason and really get a chance to not really be introduced to his offensive coordinator and his head coach, but to like actively already have that relationship and work into it in year two. You know what I mean? So like it's it's a different situation because I don't know if Justin Fields is going to be afforded that same opportunity. You know what I mean? Especially considering Ryan Poles did not draft Justin Fields. Yeah, well, with with Jalen Hurts, too, like, a lot of the ugly stuff was talent issues as well. It wasn't like, you know, because I've always been a big fan of Jalen Hurts, the guy. Um, Leadership is at an elite level. He's always been great the way he handled the Tua situation. Like, I can go on and on about how much I like Jalen Hurts, the guy, but I always thought he was going to be that journeyman next era of Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh McCown type. Hey, we need a stopgap. We need someone that can you know, steady the ship for a year or two. That's respectable in the locker room type thing, right? You're Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, and that's kind of what I thought his career was going to be. And to be honest, like the arm talent still is not there. He still is not overthrowing guys or uh, he's, st- he's still not able to like hit guys in stride on deep routes very well. Sometimes he does, but for the most part, he's not consistently accurate down the field. Um, and he, not even accuracy. He's not able to get the ball there for the most part, but they found a way to adjust to that, right? You got one of the best mid and short route type dudes like AJ Brown. So really he's a game manager as a passer and he's efficient with it, but his legs make him dangerous. So now they found a way to be like, okay, well let's highlight his fucking skill, which is his legs. um, And then let's surround him to make his other deficiencies make not exist right and like that's what they did so i'm hoping the bears are on a similar plan i would hope with ian cunningham in the building having that philly you know you got two guys that came from great organizations not that that means shit but when you look at ryan pace he came from the saints and the saints have always kind of played a risky game with the cap with how they're structuring things and they're kind of going through it now after their hall of fame quarterback um dropped out you're seeing the fucking eagles specifically do it with guys like nick Foles, jalen hurts like not top tier talent, Carson Wentz, who looks like an absolute fucking bum right now. Um, so you know, let's just and dude, and you think about when the year they won that Super Bowl, they had fucking all five of their offensive linemen, if I'm not mistaken, won an all pro at some point or another. And I think three of them were all pro that year. They had Fletcher Cox, they had Bennett, like they had a fucking sick defensive line. It that's what it all starts up front, as cliche as it is, like it all starts up front. Well, dude, and that's why, you know, and I know people like to complain, um, you know, all over Bears, Facebook, Twitter, honestly, wherever Bears fans are and whatever, you know, hey, we all have our own fucking opinions. But like, it, that's why it's kind of frustrating that we we did not invest more heavily into the offensive line. You know what I mean? Because like, if you if you're giving Justin, if you're giving a guy like Justin Fields time and I'm, I'm talking like, you know, like we can look at the numbers and see that he does have a little bit of pocket time, but I do feel like his legs do make up for that a bit as well. And he does hold on to the ball a bit long. I don't think any of that stuff can be disputed, but it would just be nice to actually see him consistently with a clean pocket. So he's not paranoid to the point where he has to abandon a clean pocket because he thinks a rush is coming. And he actually touched on it this week. Um, I, he had a really good quote about it uh, where Justin was kind of talking about how one of the biggest things like he was having his coaches do on the sidelines was like, calm him down, 
Like you need to hit a point where like I'm looking at this on a tablet where I have this clean pocket and I'm bailing out at the first sign of trouble, you know, because there's even just a slight interior pressure just based on like how other situations have worked out like that. And even Lucas Patrick, he, he owned a lot of that in uh, this week's interviews as well. You know, he's kind of said like, Justin's a guy that I really believe in, you know, this is a guy you can't convince me. He's not going to be a future star. We need to just flat out, give him more time because like, even when he's getting clean pockets, he's become so freaking paranoid just by getting hit so early. You know what I mean? And that's something and that- I will give credit. I, I will like, is someone that's been pretty critical of his time to throw. Like, I think that's, that's fair. Like you, I, I understand why he's bailing so quickly um, or why he's, you know, what, it's the times that he sits in the pocket and goes through his reads and hesitates. That's really the only thing that gets me. But when he bails because it seems like fucking someone's going to get pushed back into him, that doesn't bother me at all because it's, it's true. Like the state of his offensive line is pretty rough right now. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, and that's just, that's something that he's going to have to continue to work through. You know, I mean, obviously it sucks to have to sit in there and think you're going to get a clean pocket and then just get absolutely smacked. But hopefully this shuffle on the front offensive line is something that kind of helps that out a little bit. You know what I mean? Really kind of helps change that thought process because, you know, it's easy to say like, Justin, you know, you just got to get over that as an NFL quarterback, you know, and to a certain point, yeah, he does, but that's easier said than done for a second year quarterback. You know what I mean? Like we've seen this, it's a tale as old as time, you know, I think you even look back at like a David Carr from back in the day, one of the more talented number one overall picks at quarterback to ever come out. And he was paranoid, like to the point of like being deathly scared in the pocket because his first two seasons, he got fucking smacked almost every single play. You know, I think like his first three seasons in the league, like he led the league in sacks every single year. And that you can say that doesn't take a toll. You can say like that just, you know, you know, Oh, gonna buckle, buckle up your bootstraps and you know, lace up your belt and you know, and no, take your vitamins and say your prayers and blah, 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 you know what I mean. But like, that's just not how it works, man. Take Getting your here, vitamins and say your prayers. Well, I mean, in a sense, it's kind of what you have to do when you're getting smacked every play, but you can't just wash down your vitamin B with extra calcium milk, please. That will break the most confident people in the world just getting hit every single play or every other play you know and it it gets to the point where like i think one of the biggest things and i've been saying this really since justin's come off from the beginning of the year just struggling like i think he's trying so hard to make plays happen when he does have time or when he does have something setting up downfield where he's rolling out where i i feel like he's gotten a little bit better the past few weeks just kind of taking that like that four or five yard run for the first down compared to trying to take a shot down the field that's not there you know what i mean just because like he feels like this is my shot. Like, this is my opportunity. I'm getting this opportunity. And it's actually, I I had a fucking clean pocket. Like I have to make a great throw on this. And like, you're forcing things that just are not there. And that's like, that's like that Houston game, man. That's, that's how you get those terrible interceptions because like he sees something there. He's his eyes light up and he feels like he has to make that throw, but it ends up just being a giant mistake, you know? And he just needs to understand that like, even if your offensive line isn't blocking well, you can't try to overcompensate. Like it's a team game as, as much as that sucks to say when you're getting smacked in the pocket or the runs getting stopped or whatever, like you need to be able to accept that. Like you're only a part of the system. You're not the entire system. You know what I mean? I feel like even the best quarterbacks accept that to a certain point. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you, you know, at some point you're going to need the horses. Um, you can't do everything on your, on your own. You know, it's impossible. Um, yeah, that's true. He does need to find those quick openings. Um, and even Andrew, uh, said something about that in an interview, like we've been working with Justin about how he needs to throw the ball. Um, 
before the guys open, how he needs to throw it before guys are coming out of their break. I mean, even yesterday to recall the Thursday night football again, there was one play where Hopkins was running like a 14 yard comeback. Um, and by the time he turned around, it was on him. I mean, great catch by him because I think it was a little bit early, but Murray felt the pressure coming. He knew he was going to be coming out of his break and he just fucking launched it. Um, and that's the kind of stuff we need to see from Justin Fields. I think we will see it in time. Um, but should see, we? I feel like that's something with slant routes, dude. Like uh, that's. Just... I would love to see some slant routes, but to be honest, the slant route was the one that got batted and picked. I guess you can consider that a post in the thing, um, in the red zone. But that that was a, a quick in breaking route. I will say that. Um, yeah. But before we get into the Patriots, I, I would like to acknowledge this from from Ram GX Gaming. Not sure if you mentioned it, but what of these DJ or what about these DJ Moore trade rumors? I know the best course is to draft and not keep trading picks, but Josh, but Josh Allen's career changed when he got digs. Duke, you want to go first or should I? Um, I'll go ahead and start on that. Um, I do like the I do like the digs point. I don't believe DJ Moore is at the Stefan Diggs level, even at where no. Stefan was at that time. Uh, the biggest thing with Stefan Diggs was he was kind of uh, he was kind of playing a backseat role to a guy in Adam Thielen, who him and Cousins had uh, chemistry right out right out of the gate. You know, weird I mean? type of scissoring, yeah. And he, was but a I mean, dude, guy. if we're being totally honest, though, early at like early career Adam Thielen was a fucking dog. Like, yeah, but Diggs was better, in my opinion. Diggs was always. Always, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, but like you have a guy that's already been in the league for a couple years that's eating. You know what I mean? It's hard to take that away from even with a talented guy right next to him. You know what I mean? It's kind of like uh, even to like a way lesser extent. Think of like Peyton Manning with freaking Marvin Harrison when he gets Reggie Wayne. Like it took Reggie a little bit to kind of take over those role those targets, but it's like when you have Marvin Harrison for that long, of course you're going to feed that type of guy. DJ Moore didn't have that. That's that's kind of the biggest point I'm trying to get at here. DJ Moore was drafted to be that number one guy, you know, um, and Robbie Anderson was brought in to be the uh, the secondary role. And it seemed like while he did have some pretty good seasons, no doubt, I don't want to like diminish at all what DJ Moore does. I just feel like Stefan Diggs is kind of at, was at a different level, even at that point than where he is, than where that uh, DJ Moore is right now, because he had to kind of deal with that. But anyway, neither here nor there the biggest thing that kind of worries me about the trade package potentially for a guy like dj Moore, um because i don't mind trading picks to get a wide receiver especially a contract controlled wide receiver but i think that's the key is the contract control even with it being a bit of an expensive contract to send you know with a lot of the dead money that the that caroline would end up having to eat on that um teams are willing to spend a lot in trade capital to have a guy that they can trade for and immediately have a contract with that. They don't have to worry about negotiating a contract from the get go. You know what I mean? Because like you look at like AJ Brown, they had to sign him immediately. You look at like Deandre Hopkins, they had to sign him immediately. You look at uh Devonte Adams, they had to sign him immediately. You know what I mean? With DJ Moore, like he just signed an extension. Like that's not, that's not even something you're going to have to worry about. And you're not going to worry about that dead cap either. You know what I mean? That's going to be almost entirely paid by Carolina unless they can, really swing a deal i would assume that they have to rework it because they can't eat any more dead money they'll be over the cap this year so like that's i feel like dj Moore. I, it really all depends on what he costs well you know? and that's that's the thing i guess to kind of i'll let you take over here because like i just kind of want to give uh kind of give my closing thoughts to it because you look at the mccaffrey trade and everybody everybody looks at like christian mccaffrey is like of course he's gonna get traded for a package like that you know i think it was like what 
a second, a third, and a fourth, or something like that. I, it was a, it was a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. Yeah, I think it was a second, second, third, fifth this year, and then the fourth next year. Some, something, something like, like that. that yeah. Regardless, that's a that's a big fucking package for a guy like for uh, a Christian running Patrick. back that you're paying six. Uh, but I think what's it called it takes a lot of that cap hit. Well, and mind you, and that's and that's fair. Um, mind you, the thing with McCaffrey though, you know, because everyone always looks at Christian McCaffrey is like, yeah, he's one of the best running backs in the league. Of course, he's going to demand that trade. He hasn't played 16 games since 2019. I think the most he's played in a single season since 2019 is seven. That's so for like for that to be the trade where we are right now after that many years of injury prone, it kind of it almost seems like a little bit of a deal because you feel like in tw- if he goes like 2019 mode throughout the last few years, you're gonna have to give up at least a first to get him. You know what I mean? And with where DJ Moore is a guy who stayed healthy, a guy who's under contract control, a guy who's actually I'm pretty sure he's a year or two younger than Christian McCaffrey as well. Like that's going to demand something, especially with the wide receiver market, the way it is right now. That's what I'm I feel like. A lot of teams missed out on that last year, that like last off season. And now they're kind of like looking for anything they can grab their hands at. And I would not be surprised if a team tossed the first round pick at fucking at, at least, at, at least, Two picks in the first three rounds. I would not be surprised someone tossing that DJ Moore, mainly because of contract control, age, and where he has where he is in his prime. Yeah, see, it's kind of difficult, right? Because like it's hard to judge because different front offices have different values. And like Marquise Brown got a first round, and AJ Brown got a first rounder. And I know Marquise Brown has a little bit left on his rookie contract, and that factors into things. And it was a little bit later in the first. I know there's a value chart calculator that a lot of people refer to that I think was created by Bill Belichick coincidence. Um, but you know, I just feel like AJ Brown is a lot more bang for your buck, even though he's due for an extension than a Marquise Brown, right? Like, so I don't know. I think DJ Moore falls into the middle between those two. Um, and maybe someone will give up a first, but like, like you said, depending on who takes the contract, I think that's really what figures into how much he gets. Now, if, what's called has to eat all the dead money and you're not tied to him and you have control of him for three years for sure. Then I think he's going to go for a first rounder. But like, if you're reworking that contract for, you know, um, Carolina to only get hit for the south for the sign on bonuses and the other team's going to take on that guaranteed money. Then I think we're looking at like a third, a second round pick. Look at DJ Moore's production to compare to AJ Brown and tell me how like you can justify giving up a first rounder for him. But I guess you could say the same thing about Marquise Brown. Right. So it's just weird. Um, well, I, th- I don't hate DJ Moore, the player, and I wouldn't hate the Bears for going after him, to be honest. But I just think that the better option would be Elijah Moore if he was on the trade block, because you're talking about a guy that is has two and a half years left on his contract. He is being forced down the depth chart because the um, because the Jets paid Corey Davis and then drafted Garrett Wilson. Owners have to have, I mean, look at, just look at Zeke versus Tony Pollard. Who's more explosive right now? Who's getting more carries? It's you're paying a guy in the NFL. That's in the Saban documentary as well. Saban and Belichick. If you're paying a guy, or if you give him a certain amount of draft capital or whatever it may be, they're going to get those looks. Um, So he's kind of pissed off. He's probably upset. Like, Hey, every time one of these guys go down, I produce at a high level. And then I get played down to third fiddle again. Um, So I want to fucking leave now. They're saying that they're not willing to trade him. It could be a tactic. He's already not going to play this week. That's someone that I think, okay, he went in the second round. He was a first round talent, but he's only, um, he was a first round talent, but he's only five, nine. So I think that's a big part of why he fell into the second round, but he was like the 34th pick overall. 
So now you're talking about getting a first round talent with two years of contract control. You could probably get it done for a third rounder, especially with where the bears are picking. The jets are like, Hey, let me fucking cut my losses. We have our receivers. Anyway, we're going to get a, a high third round pick out of it. And I think that is a guy, when you talk about someone that you need to get open, someone that's going to run out of the slot and be a safety valve for Justin Fields. That's the guy. I mean, he's extremely fast. He ran like a four, three, four forty, um, but he runs the entire route tree. He can separate, with the best of them, Cooper Cup and um, Tyreek Hill had 3.6 yards average separation per per route ran. Elijah Moore is at 3.4. This is for 2020 stats or 2021 stats. And Justin Jefferson, another really, you know, a guy that's known for always being open, was only at 3.0. So like that's what we're talking about in terms of his ability to get open and separate. Um, and he can do it from the the short to intermediate to deep route so i think he's really an undervalued player that's not getting enough and i think that would be a much better route you have two years of contract and two and a half years of contract control under a second round rookie contract um and to be honest like if you were going to go ahead and say grab elijah mitchell you have darnell mooney for next year and if you want to move on from him very similar skill sets right like if you did want to move on not that i'm saying if if that they should, but if they wanted to move on from Mooney and go ahead and draft like a first round receiver, top five receiver or something like that, you could, that it gives you a lot more flexibility, you know? Well, I think, um, and I, I feel like we should bring it up as well. There has been rumors coming out this past week that the bears are going to look to extend Darnell Mooney in the off season, but we obviously know how Ryan Poles deals with extensions. So I'm not going to hold my breath yeah. quite yet. He's going to offer but, um, him like a bag of fucking Cheerios. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, I guess to kind of close out this point and kind of uh, get a little bit back to the Patriots, because I feel like we still got to cover a bit. Um, I, I guess the biggest thing with the DJ Moore situation, kind of when it comes to this trade valuation is like, contrary to popular belief, I haven't seen it. I have not seen a single report that DJ Moore has demanded a trade. And I've not seen a single report, even the Panthers directly acknowledged it. Like, we're not looking to trade DJ Moore. So, like, if they are willing to trade him, they're going to play fucking hardball. They are going to wait for that offer. In my I opinion, mean, they just fleeced the 49ers. Yeah. Oh, dude, they just gave him a running back that can't play seven games. Like, and, and I love Christian McCaffrey, but it's just the nature of it. Like, And now you're going to a team that is, always has their running backs injured. Like, it's just – it's not if, it's when. I mean, dude, and it sucks because, like, if McCaffrey does stay healthy, like, him and that Shanahan system could actually be He's gonna disgusting. Go fucking insane. Him, him and Debo, too, just being on opposite sides of the field at any point is – it's actually kind of fucking terrible. It's lethal. Yeah, it's that. lethal. And when you have a guy like Garoppolo who, who can just make the layups and just be able to hand the ball off, that's pretty nice. But, yeah, like, I just – I would love DJ Moore. I'm with you, Lucas. I'm a big DJ Moore guy. Like, I like him as a player. I just feel like the Panthers are going to – they're going to sit on him, man. They have contract control. If they got to go into the offseason with him, I don't think they're losing sleep over that because they want teams to get in a bidding war over him if they are going to trade him. And if they don't, they go in they they go into next year with a new quarterback. They go into it like with a kind of a rebuild and you kind of have a young core there, you know what I mean, to bring in with a new head coach. You know, that's so like there's there's something from an there. owner's perspective too. Who are the top two selling uh jerseys on that team? DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, exactly. So then what happens to your merchandise sales? Yeah. And I mean, you need, and it's not like DJ Moore is like, 
like when we were talking about trading a rob last year it's not like dj moore is like 27 going on 28 or anything like dude i'm pretty sure he's like 25 26 he's young. If, if not younger like that's still young enough to like the fact you got him extended is a really good sign and that's someone you can move into your next era with still you know what i mean like you can st- like because regardless man regardless if you're gonna be bad or not you still need a number one wide receiver at the end of the day 25 so like yeah 25 years old that's that's roquan's age and roquan is another guy that like you're insanely young i don't like, think you're entering your prime till 26 27 and it goes till about 30 yeah exactly so like you can go into that next there with that and you see teams do it all the time you know the, the texans i mean fucked up in every way imaginable with hopkins but they tried doing it with him as well when they brought in uh watson so i mean like teams will try to make that work and while obviously they're not going to not answer the phone you're going to have to give them something good and i just feel like either they're going to they're going to have they're going to try to get an overpay at the deadline or they're just going to take it in the offseason and wait for teams to get into a bidding war or they are going to stick with them so but anyway, moving forward a little bit, um, just kind of want to get a couple of your thoughts here. Um, so we kind of have this Mac Jones, Bailey Zap kind of situation playing out right now. And um, I actually watched Belichick's uh, press conference and I, he's just, he's just the worst at trying to get answers out of, out of him. If you don't like ask the right question and he'll just smile at you and look at you like for how fucking stupid. Like you are I fucking you. hate how dumb you are. But like, I, I love the one question that they did give him. He got, a, he got a pretty good smirk out of it and he actually laughed a little bit. They're like, so how is the offense going to differ from how we run it with Mac Jones compared to Bailey's app? And he's just like, we're going to run our offense. It's that that doesn't change. It wouldn't it doesn't change regardless of who the quarterback is. And it's like so like that's that's what he says. But like I've seen a lot of Bailey uh, Zap over the past few weeks. I feel like he gets in pretty good rhythms, dude. He has a really nice like touch on his football. Like uh, what what, what are some things maybe, Lucas, that you think uh, I like him better than Mac Jones? I think he's a little bit more of a gunslinger and less of a game manager. And I don't know if the Patriots like that, but I kind of like him. I think he's got a little bit more plus side to him than Mac Jones does. I don't know. And at the end of the day, like they put him in a very good situation as well with how things are structured with the front office, everything like that, them knowing exactly Belichick being like, this is our offense. We're going to run it this way, no matter what. Um, And I mean, we've seen Belichick churn out second, third, six round picks for fucking second round picks in the draft regularly. You know, Jacoby Brissett, um, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt Castle, all guys that got traded. So to be honest, I think Mac Jones gives you a little bit more stability. Um, but I, I actually think Bailey Zappia might be like, I hate, dude, I was at a wedding last week with a bunch of people from Massachusetts and they were talking about how they like Bailey Zappia more. And they're like, man, we're getting Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe vibes. Like I know Mac Jones isn't as established, but they're like, I, I like him better. Um, so I'm well, sure they're evaluating that. Yeah, I mean, it kind of seems like a lower floor, higher ceiling type guy. Whereas, like Mac Jones, like, and we've we've been saying this since Mac Jones got drafted. Like, he was just a safe bet of who he is. You know, what I mean, like, you know who he is, you know what you're getting, and you know if you build a system around him, you can win some football games. But Zappy is like, he really has that. Like, he can be a low, he can be a low floor, a hundred percent. But like, he has a lot more star potential. And I think what really held against him, and I really liked uh, his his uh, draft profile, honestly, throughout the entire process, he really just kind of uh, got affected by where he played, but dude, he could ball in college, man. And like, I just, there's something like to be said about just the touch on his footballs. Like, I, I don't know how, how else to explain it. Like 
he just he knows how to he knows how to but he knows how to maneuver around a cornerback i guess would be the best way to put it where a lot of guys in the league you kind of see him get to the point where like they use their arm strength every single throw you see it a lot with like a guy like patrick mahomes and he has the arm strength to be able to do that but if a quarterback can understand his arm strength and understand that maybe he doesn't have an absolute gun and he's able to put a ball where he needs to put it just for a wide receiver to get it and that a corner can't get a good angle at it there's something to be let oh there's a lot to be said about that in the league and there's guys who can make big careers about that you know i think about a guy like um like even Chad Pennington back in the day, you know, wasn't a guy who could gash you downfield, but he was just so deadly accurate because he knew exactly where to put the football to where a corner couldn't get to it. And his wide receiver had the best opportunity to get to it. And that's a lot of what I see with Bailey Zappi. I think that's something that uh, we're going to need to be able to focus on while, while I say all that, I feel like this is going to need to be another week. And I, I feel like I say it every single week at this point, this is a week where we really need to get to him. Like we need to be able to rush the quarterback. Like, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it because as good as our secondary is, I don't see Zappy making a lot of mistakes on us if he has a clean pocket. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I feel the same way. And pass rush is an issue. But one thing I think for a guy like Flus to be at the bottom of the league every single year in blitzing and then bringing pressure on third down with one, two guys, you know, we saw Roquan and Brisker blitz on the same play, um, I think once or twice uh, in the Washington game. So you're seeing him understand that the defensive line isn't getting there and he's sending pressure. So that's a great adjustment by him. Um, but I think it's going to be one of those games. I mean, you got two coaches that are really good at shortening the game, trying to keep it close. Another reason why I really like the Bears plus seven and a half. Um, and and really just capitalizing on the other team's mistakes. And the, the Patriots are much better at that because you'll see a couple margins of victory there where – the Patriots just run their game, but you make two, three mistakes, like they're going to fucking hurt you for it. And you saw them beat the shit out of the Browns, um, who's another team that's pretty run focused. Um, it's, that's so funny that, that Belichick put our running game up there with the Browns. It, Belichick went on a 27 minute rant about how great everyone on the fucking Bears is because, you know, that's what he does when he's playing a dog shit team. Um, so, I mean, if, that's I'm being honest, great. if I'm being honest, though, I don't hate the Browns comparison. Because I really do feel like we have some juice with fucking Herbert and Montgomery. They just have a lot better fucking offensive line, though. Yeah, no doubt. But, I mean, I I see both of our running backs just getting an inch of daylight and just making the absolute most of it. I, I really like the combo that we have. I mean, I've said it multiple times. I really hope we find a way to keep both of them together for – past this year because i feel like it can be a really lethal combo and that helps with a uh, that helps with having a mobile quarterback as well um but honestly on the offensive side of the football i feel like covered a little bit on the defense um we need to be able to capitalize you know i like the point that you made where like we can't make mistakes because new england will capitalize on them belichick will capitalize on them and dude new england's defense is beating up right now man like lawrence guy is questionable that's one of their best that is their best front front guy best defensive end um I know uh, Jonathan Jones and Jalen Mills. That's their two starting outside corners. They're both questionable. Josh, Josh Uchi, he's questionable as well. That's their slot guy. Like there are guys in the secondary. If even two of those guys play, you're still going to have a weak spot to where you can kind of take advantage of it. And Justin Fields is going to need to play mistake-free football. You know, I mean, it goes for the entire offense, but like Justin's not going to be able to like force plays and throw throw bad interceptions. Like that just flat out can't happen. Um, he can't have footballs get bad at the at the line of scrimmage. I'm hoping 
with that with them kind of having a little bit weaker of a pass rush than they've had than they've had in the past i guess just playmaker wise i mean they still find ways to get to the quarterback because it's Belichick, but yeah but they only have 11 sacks on the year like they're not i think that there are opportunities in the passing game i don't think that their passing defense is as strong as it used to be um and and i mean i think you make a great point like not only do we not have to make mistakes, but also like tendencies, right? I'm very happy that there was a mini buy before this Patriots game, because if the bears wanted to have a shot in this game, they cannot do uh, anything statistically that is a tendency for them, right? Because any type of tendency or tell that the bears had Belichick has it down. His team is going to be prepared for it. It will be a tackle for loss. Like they really do need to, throw a different type of game plan at the New England Patriots. Otherwise, it's going to be a long fucking Monday night. Um, so I think there's just as much of a challenge on Getze and and Matt Eberflus as there is on Justin Fields. Well, and I, I think really a big way to do that, I guess if I was Luke Getze kind of looking at this, depending on who in the secondary plays for New England, I would try to attack a little bit of the short game. I mean, I keep bringing up fucking slants, but my God, like – if there are injuries in the secondary and you can get a little bit of an inside release, like this would be the game to do it because like, they're obviously going to focus on our run game. Like every team in the league is used to how much we run the football. We run it a lot. You know what I mean? That's not a bad thing. We have an insanely strong run game. We should be running the ball as much as we are, but like we, I, I do like the point you make about tendency breaking because this is a guy where you have to play a little bit of fucking chess with him. You know what I mean? Like Belichick, if he thinks, if he respects your run game, he's going to do everything in his power to fucking stop your run game. And he's going to try to make you with the, uh, beat you with the pass. That's why you kind of need to really catch him off guard and keep him a little bit off balance with being able to effectively throw the football and take chunks of yardage at a time. Because once they stop focusing on the run, that's where you gash them. I feel like that is going to be your best bet against this defense in a, a very well coached, uh, Bill Belichick. But honestly, like this, we've talked about tests for Matt Eberflus throughout the season. I'm really interested to see how this coaching matchup goes. Like, I really want to see, like, because you know, every coach in the league kind of goes into, goes into, um, goes in new england with a little bit little bit extra fox bro that's what i was trying to think of they go into fox bro with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder like hey this is the guy i'm across is probably the best coach of all time i'm going to show him what i'm made of and try to garner a little bit of respect there and i believe Ibraflus and belichick have known each other throughout the years i'm like, sure they had to have crossed paths especially with the saving connection yeah there's definitely there's definitely a mutual probably a mutual respect there um, and I mean, obviously even going a little bit further, I mean, Fluce has the connection with Brian Dable and Brian Dable and, uh, Bill Belichick have a pretty strong uh, relationship as well. So I feel like there's a little bit of that kind They've of definitely given each other the, the nod a couple times, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Like I, I see what you're doing over in Indianapolis, but, um, yeah, so I, I really, really want to see Iberflus kind of coach a really tight, good game and hit a point where, like, I know it sounds crazy to get into a chess match with Bill, but, like, you have to almost make him overthink things. That's where you're going to be at your absolute best because when Bill is chill on the sidelines, chances are they're kicking the absolute shit out of you. When Bill is on the sidelines really insanely honed in, that's where you're really giving him a good test, and that's where I feel like our best shot's going to be for this. Yeah, and I mean – you know, I think we kind of know what their defensive game plan is going to be. And that's because he's kind of shown that tendency um, with young quarterbacks. He's going to make them essentially grow on the field. Like if you want to beat us, you're going to grow on the field. So I, you better believe 
They're going to be playing two shell. They're going to be walking up a bunch of different guys into the box, um, walking up to the line of scrimmage. You're not going to know who's blitzing. Well, yeah, Mitch actually went fucking nuts in that Patriots game. If you don't remember that they came up, it was in his second year in a new system. They're facing the New England Patriots that held the fucking St. Louis Rams to six points in the Super Bowl. And I think Mitch put up like 34 and it came down to a Hail Mary that came up short that Kevin White caught. By a yard. By by a yard. That was rough, dude. Um, RIP. All right. Well, Kevin White made a catch in that game yesterday, too. But with all that being said, like, like we know what he's going to do and the protection calls have to be on point, whether that's from Lucas Patrick or um, Justin Fields, whoever it may be, like it has to be on point. Everyone has to know what their gap responsibility is um, and and who their man is, because like that, that's going to be the challenge, right? He's going to take away the running game. He knows our, our pass blocking has not been good. He's going to attack that. He's going to attack our weaknesses until we're able to fucking prove like, hey, you're going to have to back off a little bit. So I think it's going to have to be something that's done early. You know what I mean? It's not going to be one of those. If if the Bears don't score a touchdown in the first half, they are losing by a lot. They are going to have to start quick. Yeah, no. And that's that's why I really like the idea of being able to get the ball through the air, because like to be able to stop that pass they are I feel like they're going to use quite a bit of interior blitzes with the linebackers. They're going to bring their safety down into the box. I believe uh, their safety off the top of my head, Kyle Duggar. Um, that's that's a guy that they really like bringing in the box. I was just trying to get the name off the top of my head. I kept thinking of uh, Cody Davis because he just got tossed in the IR. But um, that's a guy they like bringing up, and I could see them kind of giving that look that's going to give opportunities in the, in the seam, that's going to give opportunities down the field to where if, if – we're able to recognize that pressure when we see it, there could be something that gets set up there. I do like you brought up a really good point here because if the offensive line and, you know, again, knock on wood, we already knocked on wood earlier, but like if the offensive line that we're getting is Braxton Jones, Michael Schofield, Lucas Patrick, Tevin Jenkins, and Larry Borum, I'm real. This is a X factor game for Lucas Patrick. We need to see what Lucas Patrick can do at center because like, at guard, at either guard spot, it has not been good. And it, that's kind of been the biggest thing of me just going absolutely like AWOL on Lucas Patrick is like the fact that Lucas is playing with his phone right now. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the biggest thing with Lucas Patrick is um, he just hasn't shown it. And he was supposed to be a guy that was supposed to start at center. So I've given him a little bit of that benefit of the doubt. But like we need to start seeing his value in this game. Otherwise, like we're going to have to. We're going to have to start getting really serious about it, a potential of finding a fucking center like mid season, like, cause it's getting, it's getting bad. We can't, if we move, if we bench Sam Mustafer, we cannot go back to him. And if Lucas Patrick ain't at center, we need to start getting aggressive about making that move. I mean, will Ryan polls wake up before 3 PM to make that move that has yet to be seen. You know, That's I don't know. He might, tough one. Yeah. he might wake up and eat a fucking, you know, Turkey and Dorito sandwich and go back to bed. You know, we don't know that, but I bet you he just puts straight up chips on bread. That's it. Just chips, <laughs> chips and mayo on bread. Oh, I was going to say, there's a lot of mayonnaise on that. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, no, I, I agree entirely. And that's the thing in a year, it seems that they're selling like, that's why I find it so hard to believe that they truly believe in Justin Fields, because it's not just the hits he's taking on sacks and hurries. Like think about how many times he's letting go of the ball and getting drilled right after how many times is he getting pushed, you know, to the ground when he's, uh, running the ball and going towards the sidelines. Like how many times he's taking a lot more hits than his five sacks a game or whatever it may be. So that makes you worry for sure. And I, I, I hope Patrick is an upgrade, but like what we saw from Schofield, let's hope in preseason and training camp, he was just out of shape because I mean, 
he was he was the same as Mustafer. So, well, I just I think it's strange, and like I, I'm going to keep an open mind with Schofield, but I think it's strange that like they are so adamant against Riley Reef moving inside. Obviously, um, and I think that's crazy when you look at like Jason Peters playing with Dallas at like what forty. 41 he's, and he's yeah, he's moving inside he's playing tackle he's playing wherever they want to put we're him. we're talking about game, bain and garfield here though you know well i know but like do we see tackles move inside all the time it's just it's weird to me that you have this guy on the active roster and we haven't seen him once that i don't know it's and just you got no line problems right and you gave him well yeah i think it does make a lot of sense because his contract is heavily incentivized so if he's not playing polls isn't paying that money and you know that's just making him blow his fucking wad oh my gosh dude and that's just <laughs> i always talk about this method like mythological fucking off-season podcast where we're that we're just gonna go nuclear for three hours on ryan polls but like that's another point i'm gonna make if it fucking comes down to it man yeah um another thing too man i'm really interested to see how Nikhil harry is implemented he should be back this week uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Bears had nobody on their injury designation for the week. Um, just which is a beautiful thing to see. So, other than the guys that are on IR that have recently gone on IR, obviously, but I would like to see how Nikhil Harry and Va- like I would like to see sets out there with Cole Komet, Nikhil Harry, Valus Jones, and Darnell Mooney. Like, let's see those four guys on the field together, get some size and some speed. Um, so then, cause then you're creating different threats. Like, like when you have Pettis, um, and guys like Amir Smith, Marset, like none of them really give you that threat of like, if you play one-on-one on Nikhil Harry at any point, especially with a backup corner, if that's what the Patriots are going to do, that's a jump ball every single time you throw that up. So like, there was no one that gave you that element. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the screen game like, with Valus, like, I think you're going to be able to catch them off guard a little bit. That's another thing too. I don't think you're going to see much gimmicky shit from Bayless this week because um, the the Patriots will sniff that shit out. Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. I also hope we're not seeing him return punts personally. You know, hopefully, yeah. hopefully we're only seeing him on kick returns. But, um, you know, I really believe that if they are going to do an interior blitz on us and they're going to bring a safety up in the box, we have to start getting Cole Komet involved. Oh, yeah. He's going to be able to take advantage of that. He's going to have the size advantage over safety every single time. I mean, unless he's playing an absolute freak, which he's not. Like, you There's have no to more be, Cam Chancellors in the league. You have to be able to give him – well, they usually play linebacker now, but that's that's a whole different that's story. That's a whole different story. Yeah. But – uh, uh <laughs> Like I, you just need to be able oh, to use don't the, even make that fucking comparison. Dude. I'm kidding. I'm I'm just only oh. making the size comparison. Yeah. But um. Yeah. The whatever. I don't even want to get into that because that's going to be a whole thing. That's a whole but, um, twenty minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But um, Cole Komet. We need to be able to use Cole Komet's size to our advantage. We just have not done it. Flat out have not done it. And even when we have, we haven't done it enough. You know, the biggest thing last year was it always felt like once you started getting Cole in a rhythm, that's where he started to get has those really good games where it'd be like six catches for like maybe like 84 yards like that sound that's fucking beautiful from your tight end man especially when you're not getting a lot of production from your wide receivers you know like i don't want to i don't want to just shit on dante pettis but like dante pettis is getting a lot of targets right now and cole commence not and that i i I lose sleep over that at night man that bothers me (laughs) like i understand like you want that six six blocker in but like any tight end but Cole Komet can do that. Like, fucking put Cole – like, even Cole in the slot and have him be a big fucking slot or even just have him Griffin, out a little bit off not the Not Jensen. Yeah, throw fucking Griffin there or and Griffin Anybody. Jensen. I don't – like, that guy we just signed from Washington that I, I don't even know his fucking name. Like, 
have him block. He looks like a freaking just a mountain. You know what I mean? Like have him stand in front of somebody and just chip for, you know, the sixth guy. Like I'm sick of us running the six offensive line formation. And if you want to do that, don't even fucking don't even disguise it. Bring fucking Riley Reef out there. Like, I don't I don't know what else to tell you. Like, if you want to roll six offensive linemen, that's fine. But like, don't make Cole commit one of those offensive linemen. Do not punish him for being a good blocker and not allowing him to get involved in the offense. That's that's my Cole Komet rant of the week. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how I see it. I see it the same. Yeah. But all right, we are rolling a little bit long. Um, obviously, it's Friday the night. The reason why my fucking shit went off is because ESPN's a fraud-ass app, and anytime you click to check a score, if you leave it up for 10 seconds, it starts playing an ad. So I apologize for that. I flat out, like, I don't want to talk trash about ESPN, but I don't know if I hate any app more than the ESPN app. They're, they're late on stories. They give that little do-no-no, If you ever have your audio on, I hate no. it. I, I dislike it a lot. Bleacher Report just gives me info and just fucks off. But anyway, um, score predictions. We should probably roll with that first, then we'll get to bold. Uh, bold or, yeah, let's just see score predictions first, then we'll do bold, uh, bold predictions. What are you feeling, Lucas? Yeah, I don't know, man, because the Patriots are weird. They have games where they're putting up fucking seven points. They have games where they're putting up 15, and then they have games where they're putting up like 40. So I'm going to go ahead and say that the Bears' defense is actually pretty good, a lot better than the Lions. Um, And I think it's going to be a shortened game, so I think it's going to be pretty pretty low scoring, to be honest. I know it kind of negates what I said about the over earlier, but I think it's going to end at like – maybe 50 total points, 47 total points, which I'm sure it's set at like 43 and a half. Um, I'll go with the, I can't, I can't even do it. I can't pick the bears. I'm going to go with the Patriots 23 and the bears 17. All right. Um, I would probably roll. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I would go uh, probably 17, 14, just, I'm going to, I'm going to give the bears a 17, obviously. Um, if it's going to be a tight game, I feel like it's going to be like a low scoring affair like that. Um, I think Belichick does respect our secondary. I think you brought up a good point with the Jalen Johnson, not bringing him up. I feel like that was intentional. Um, I, I don't think, I think they respect our secondary. They're going to try to run the ball on us more than anything. Um, and while that will be effective because we just flat out cannot stop the run, there's just no other way to put it. Um, I don't think they're going to go nuts. I don't think they're going to try to give a guy like Jaquan Brisker an opportunity to get his first career inception. And they're going to watch that film of what Jalen Johnson did against Terry McLaurin. And I don't think they're going to give Jacoby Myers that same level of rope to get those targets. So um, it's going to be a low scoring affair in my opinion, or if they, I'm so torn, that's why I'm like, if they, come out of the, if they come out of the gate hot, it can get ugly really quick. But with how much of a second half team we are, we could also make adjustments at halftime to counteract that. I don't know. I'm going to stick with 17-14, though. I think it's going to be a low-scoring affair. Um, if the Bears are going to pull it off, we're going to just have to not make mistakes. Like, I, I don't want a turnover. I, I want zero turnovers, and I want us to have a plus percentage in fucking the red zone. Like, I want a red zone touchdown just so, so damn bad. And I want us to get in the point where in the game where, like, we're able to do that so we're comfortable taking a field goal. You know what I mean? I don't want us just to completely go all get ga- all gas, no breaks all the time. Like, just be able to try to win one. Try to steal one against Bill Belichick. Not only do I want a red zone touchdown, I want a red zone walk-in touchdown that is a running play with multiple options. That's what I want. I want a true my offensive coordinator schemed up a motherfucking easy six. That's what I want from this Bears team. Um, also, everything I said completely negates going with the over, so I don't like the over. Um, 
I don't like the under either, though. I think this game could be really weird. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so bold prediction. I mean, re- scheming up an offensive touchdown is kind of a bold prediction, but what's an individual one, I guess, that you have? Oh. I think um, I think Justin Fields goes for 300 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. I like that. I like that. I mean, that would be a really good step in the right direction against a uh, a good defensive scheme. You know, even if I think it could be like talented. a yeah. I think it could be like a two two twenty five seventy five split split. I think it could even be like a two sixty forty split. To be honest, I do think he's he's getting better in terms of reading the ball, uh, reading the field, getting the ball out quicker, hitting his hots, things of that nature. If he's able to replicate, because I think that they are going to be aggressive on defense. I think he's going to be able to get a lot of those flip passes for 25 yards, shit like that. So I think the the stats, I think he might rack up some stats. I'm starting him in fantasy this week over Aaron Rodgers. Over right. Aaron Rodgers. I did yeah. not expect that from Lucas Perfetti this year. That's that's bold in itself, man. I drafted Kudos him in every league, baby, always. Kudos to you, my man. I drafted yeah. Mitch in every league, too, when he was here, I, always. Because <laughs> it's like, you don't fucking want him. I'll take him with my last pick. There's you know major upside to him. You know how many times I would make the Mitch move at like eleven fifty eight? Just, just get because I'm getting so juiced up for the game, thinking Mitch is just gonna go nuts. Or Dude, like, I, I he has a pregame for... interview on Fox or something. And it's like, yep, four touchdowns, easy. I had a game I needed to win to make the playoffs, and I did that for the Dallas game. His Dallas game. Man, that's that's when you hang out. That's when you oh, hang on the fucking wall. Dude. My I, fucking I really meat proud was of that draped one. all over the side of everyone's face. Um, God, I don't even know if it's a bold prediction at this point. Um, but I think, I think Eddie gets one. Oh, go Eddie fuck yourself. It. No, I'm not accepting that. You can't <laughs> fucking do one interception for everything. Give me something. All right. Else. All right. All right. Fuck it. Um, Travis Gibson gets two sacks for me. Okay. I like that. He gets, he gets two. He's going to, he's going to wreak fucking havoc. Um, especially if, if Isaiah wins out. And he gets a good matchup. I mean, he's going to be going against a guy like Marcus Cannon, who New England's familiar with, but he's he's getting to the point where he's washing his career. Like, I think Travis, if he gets a snap count, is going to have a fucking game. I feel like they've probably been amping him up this into like these past eleven days to take more snaps. Um, I've been seeing a lot of clips or a lot of pictures of Travis like involved with first team defense. So, I'm hoping they're ramping him up to really take a bigger role. Um, I. I've heard some takes where um, they say Al Quadi Muhammad is far superior to Travis in the run that's game, and I don't insane. totally buy that. No, I don't. It's an insane take. I, I think it, I think they're more here than they are here, where people are pretending they are. But I think Travis adds so much as a pass rusher that you it's hard to justify keeping him off the field at this point. And I mean, on the other side, like what are you going to bench Robert Quinn? So yeah, I think Travis is going to get two. I think they are going to focus on Robert Quinn because I think Bill respects him. So I can see Travis Gibson having a big game. Well, and also. Um... The Patriots, if I'm not mistaken, let up 17 sacks this year, so almost three sacks a game. Um, so they're they're definitely susceptible. They're not the Patriots that we're used to, where it's like they have a star-studded offensive line and defensive line. Um, there's there's some holes there, and Belichick's doing a good job of covering them. I believe they're four and two, right? Um, and they beat some pretty good teams. They beat not that the Packers seem that good anymore, but they beat the Dolphins. Or no, I'm sorry, they lost to the Dolphins. But they're uh, they're three and three. Miami. They're three and three. Yeah, they lost to the Ravens, Dolphins, and Packers. That's right. I, I was naming the people they lost to. And then um, they beat the Steelers. They beat the Lions and the Browns. Actually, you know what, dude? Fuck that. I'm changing my prediction. 
fuck that after looking at that. They beat three shitty teams. I don't think the Browns are actually that good. I know they have a lot of talent. Jacoby Brissett is Jacoby Brissett. If anyone's going to be able to beat him, it's his old coach, the guy that developed him. So I'm going to go ahead and say the Bears win 27 to 13. No, 27 to 20. Hammer that over. Um, and yeah, now it all makes sense to me. Either way, they're a little bit susceptible on both sides of the ball and in their fronts. So they're not untouchable. They are a good team. Belichick, I, it's hard to see him going below 500 at this point of the season. Usually he kind of gets rolling at this point and the Patriots start clicking and, and rattling off some wins, but there's no more Tom Brady. So yeah, man, I think, uh, I think it's possible. I like your bold prediction. I think it's a lot better than Addy Jackson getting an interception. Cause I think that's a fucking cop out at this point. He's got like four. Um, so, so yeah, I do like that prediction. Yeah. No, also, what were you, you were saying something about a stat like two minutes ago? No, either way, yeah. when you're talking about how guys are being graded in PFF grades, listen to this shit that I fucking saw, dude. Okay. I, I saw, I saw a PFF. They, it was fans requesting a regrade and it was Quinn and Williams against the green Bay Packers. And if you watch that game, just objectively, just watched it as a fan, you would know that Quentin Williams was tearing motherfuckers apart. He was all over Aaron Rodgers. He was doing uh, great in the run game. Everything he was doing, like he was tearing it apart. He was having a highlight reel filled game. They graded him at 60%, a grade of 60 or whatever. So when you throw out that fucking Roquan has a 58 grade on the year, I don't give a fuck. So they essentially Jets fans bombarded them to ask them to regrade Quinn Williams game. It went up 20 percentage points. So you're plus or minus 20, depending on what jag off you employed to to go look through the film and give a plus or minus on the play. Um, and they try to justify it with being like, Oh yeah, we gave Quinn Williams this. Like, no, it was, it was bad, dude. It was the fact that you are, you expanded too quickly. You have a bunch of people that are not experienced enough and don't know what they're looking at, making grades for people. And we also found out that they are, it's, it, it is a hundred percent true. I think it was Chris Long or Travis Kelsey. One of the two, um, one of the two sets of brothers, either way, they straight up said, yes, agents pay PFF to make their grade, to make their players grades better. So why wouldn't a GM possibly send a little bit of cash over to PFF to, to down a grade so he can get a guy on a cheaper contract? I, I would assume it goes both ways. All I'm saying is the F and F stands for fucking fraudulent. It's not pro football focus. It's pro fucking frauds. Um, and yeah, I will never accept a PFF grade. I won't. I, I, if, I won't accept it as support and I won't accept it as your only leg to stand on. You nailed it, dude. You, you already know my feelings on PFF. I don't think I hate a stat stats, quote unquote stats company more than I hate PFF. Um, that, that segment you're talking about that they, uh, they had to clip and put it as a podcast. That was like one of the most scripted things I've ever seen. That was the most like tuck your tails between your legs. Like we were so fucking wrong and people finally called us out on it, but you know what? We just talked about that Mitch and Dallas game, and I remember Mitch getting a horrendous fucking grade for that game. If you're going to go back and give Quentin Williams a fucking regrade, go keep going back and give our boy Mitch a fucking better or grade. Or just regrade Roquan on the year, please. Cause yeah, I you, but you know what? Honestly, I don't even want the respect because, like, I'm with you, Lucas. I will never use a PF, PFF grade to help my argument for a bear in a positive light. I won't fucking use it to ne negate somebody else. Like, I've just gotten to the point – like over the years of just seeing how it is and seeing the way they grade their players, like 
There's just I can't get on board with it, man. I just can't. There's it's too much fucking, fucking clown shoes. It's you. There's too yes. There's fucking too much human error. Shoes, there's too much human error, man. To consider yourself a fucking statistics-based company, there's too much like eye test and error. And eye test is a good thing when it's used on a limited basis. Can we close it out with the Jay and Silent Bob or Jay reading the letter at the at the Wiener Dog stand or whatever and replace Jay and Silent Bob with Pro Football Focus and just talk about like can we can we find a way to dub that up so it's like talking about how they eat their shit w- with their shit um and then oh end it with God. fucking clown shoes because that's what it reminds me of you know what I'm talking about right when they're at the Dude. we're at the, the computer what the fuck is the internet I might have to see, <laughs> I might have to see Ben Affleck has fucking cameo dude I I mean I got Roquan to say a bunch of cool shit for us so I mean maybe I can get Affleck to oh, like that just was read Affleck that reading that wasn't it yeah it was yeah that's true uh, family yeah because <laughs> and I, I don't want to get I don't want to quote him get too vulgar at this point. I mean, but hell, if you listen at this point, you already know. But like, I always love how he answered the door. He's like, look at these two morose looking motherfuckers right here <laughs> looking like somebody shitting their cereal. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> such a great movie. I might but that's like that. how every PFF guy looks. So, I mean, that's that's where we're at. Yeah, but we should probably close it up because the Bulls actually are just made a comeback. They were down like 14 and now it's the fourth quarter and they're down by three. Yeah, no doubt. Our uh, our live views definitely got absolutely drilled by the Chicago Bulls. But if you did, if you did come in, chime in, or if you watched us live, maybe if you didn't comment, we appreciate it. We appreciate any support. If you're listening to us on the podcast version, uh, keep on listening. You know, if you guys enjoy anything, um, be sure to reach out to me or Lucas, even if you hate something. Like honestly, it's some of the best banter we've ever had on Twitter, and some of the like my favorite accounts have come from people to be like, "Hey, your take is shit," and it's like, well. All right, I'm going to pony up and sit here for 20 minutes because we're going to have a conversation. We're going to figure out who's fucking, yeah, who should be the asshole. And I'm okay with accepting that loss for sure, but I will not accept it if you're providing PFF stats. Yeah, oh, yeah, dude. Oh, man. And that's that's a whole different era from last year of people I had to deal with the PFF stats, uh, people who are no longer on the Bird app. But that's a conversation for another day. Anyway, that's a good place to close this out. Um, that we are the barely there podcast. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Duke Coughlin. You can follow me at that pod guy, Duke. As always, I'm joined by the Ayatollah of Capicola, Lucas Fetty. You can follow him at Lucas Fetty 46 on Twitter as well. Be sure to follow the podcast over there at barely there pod. Um, be sure to subscribe. Be sure to rate us. Uh, we have a five-star rating on Spotify right now. We do not have a five-star rating on Apple and it's agreed. <laughs> we need more we need better ratings over there guys uh but we appreciate everyone who has done a review i appreciate all the people who reach out you know any of the people that i know from back in the day i always appreciate you guys uh saying you respect the hustle um you know they usually say you're fat lucas but they like you too that's fine um but uh yeah anyway good spot to uh roll out of here um i'm duke coughlin that's lucas fetty and uh we've been barely there bear down bear down